Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Well, my name is Brendan, and I'm one of the pastors here at All Souls. And uh, I am just so glad to be with you all today on this third Sunday of Advent. As you've heard uh, from Bliss and now from me as well, this, the theme of this day is joy. And I wanted you to just hear again, some of the scripture texts uh, were filled with these exhortations to joy. I don't know if you caught that, but I'll read a few of them. So Zephaniah 3.14 begins this way, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. And then our reading from Isaiah, the litany, Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion. And then Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Into the company of all those texts, uh, we have our gospel reading today. And I don't know if any of you felt the seeming incongruity of it, but... The gospel reading began, you brood of vipers. (laughs) It's kind of like saying spawn of Satan. That wasn't very nice. And it doesn't sound very joyful, right? Well, I wanted to tell you a little story about this past week. So I blocked out some time on Wednesday to prepare for preaching. And so I spent Wednesday morning reading and meditating on the various lectionary texts. And I just finished with the gospel text for the day and was trying to gather my thoughts and to begin writing a sermon. So I was reading those verses, you know, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is coming, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And then he goes on to say, you know, the people ask him, what should we do? And he says, well, if you have two coats, share one of them with somebody who doesn't have a coat. And if you have food in your pantry, share with someone who doesn't have any. And I just opened a blank document on my computer to start typing, and the phone rang. So it was a Roanoke number, and I decided to answer it because it was sort of local. And immediately a man's voice came over the line. He said, I'm trying to make my way from Maine to Farmville, Virginia. I've been traveling for days and I recently had spinal surgery and I'm in a lot of pain. Could you please help me? So I groaned inwardly. God, I said, This is the only time I have set aside this week for sermon prep. I've got to write a sermon. So I tried to give him the phone number of another agency in town that might be able to help. Is anybody feeling the tension here? So he responded, look, why are you passing me to someone else who's also not going to help me? I'm hungry, and I'm trying to get to my family, and I'm asking you for some help. Can you help me? 
Now, at this point, me and the Holy Spirit are starting to have a real conversation. Those who have two coats, share with somebody who doesn't have. If you have food, share. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> so finally, I relent. And I could get my head around, okay, this man's hungry. I can do something about that. So I say, okay, where are you? And I figure out that he's at Barrick's shopping center. And I say, so do you see Chipotle? He says, yes. And I say, I'll meet you there in a few minutes. So as I uh, got my coat and grabbed my keys, the spirit said, this is your sermon prep. John the Baptist's preaching could be summarized by one word, repent. As Bliss mentioned to our kids several weeks ago, to repent is to rethink our thinking. But John shows us it's, it's more invasive than that, isn't it? What does repentance look like? According to John, it looks like someone sharing their coat if they have two, or sharing food if they have extra in the pantry. Ultimately, it looks a lot like Jesus. Our lives as followers of Jesus are meant to take a particular shape. We are meant to be faithful witnesses of him in the world. The man who called me on Wednesday was at the heart looking for a faithful witness. Following Jesus isn't just about getting a long list of doctrine right, as if faithful witness had only to do with what we think in our heads. No, faithful witness boils down to one thing, or rather, to one person. The book of Revelation, which is not part of our lectionary readings today, is a pastoral letter and written to seven churches in modern-day Turkey. John the Baptist, or John, not John the Baptist, uh, wrote, who wrote the letter, opened with these words. He said this, To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So it is Jesus, first and foremost, who is the faithful witness. And what does Jesus faithfully witness to? John goes on to say, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Jesus... John says, faithfully shows us in the gospel, which is the proclamation of the good news, that we are loved by God. To him who has loved us, Jesus shows us faithfully that we are loved by God. Jesus faithfully shows us that we are free from sin and rebellion that has bound us to death. We are freed through his act of self-giving love, freed through his death on a cross, freed through his resurrection and ascension and sending of the Spirit from the power of death itself. 
And Jesus faithfully shows us what our true human vocation is, to be a kingdom and priests witnessing to the love and the rule of this God revealed in Jesus the Messiah that will culminate in resurrection and new creation. So the call to repent is always a call to return to God, and it always gets worked out in the stuff of our everyday lives. David Fitch, in his book, What is the Church and Why Does It Exist?, which, by the way, I think is a question many of us are asking these days, argues that beliefs are meant to be rooted in concrete practices. Beliefs, he says, when separated from practices, have over time become rote for Christians. We must, he argues, focus on cultivating the practices of Jesus among a people. Fitch suggests seven practices drawn from the life and teaching of Jesus that should shape the people of God. As I read these, think about where they come from in the life and the teaching of Jesus. And I might even just ask you to like shout it out. So practice one, the practice of the Lord's table. Does that seem kind of central? Where does that come from? Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Pretty clear, right? The practice of reconciliation. Remember Jesus said, leave your gift at the altar, first go and be reconciled. The practice of proclaiming the gospel. Go, make disciples of all nations, right? The practice of being with the least of these. Whatever you do for the least of these, you do as unto me. The practice of the fivefold gifts of the Spirit. Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. The practice of being with children. Whoever welcomes one such child welcomes me. And the practice of kingdom prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In emphasizing the practices of faith, in Jesus, Fitch is emphasizing that we as individuals and we as communities of people are meant to live in ways that make the self-giving, cruciform life and love of Jesus visible through our presence in the world. We are meant to make visible the presence and saving activity of God in our midst. Our community's rule of life follows this same logic. We are aiming to live a shared life in the way of Jesus, making visible his presence and his saving activity in all the spaces where we live. So what does joy have to do with all of this? As I noted earlier, all the scriptures we heard today outside the gospel text called the people of God to joy. These texts all have another thing in common. Did anybody notice? Zephaniah 3.15 says, The king of Israel, Yahweh, is in your midst. And he says it again, The Lord, your God, is in your midst. 
Isaiah 12, the great one in the midst of you is the Holy One of Israel. Philippians, the Lord is near. This in the midst language takes us all the way back to the garden. What was in the midst of the garden? Anybody? What was in the midst? The tree of life. That's right. And the tree represents God's presence, which is centered in the garden. The man wasn't centered. The woman wasn't centered. The tree was actually centered in the midst of the garden. And this tree reappears many times in the scriptures, but its focal point comes to us in the gospel accounts. And you may remember that Jesus said, I, when I am lifted up, will draw all people to myself. The man Jesus Christ lifted up on the tree. This is our center. This is our life. This is God in our midst. And in Christ, um, in, the, in the revelation of, of John to the seven churches, John sees a vision of seven golden lampstands, which represent the seven churches. And he says, in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, Jesus, in the midst of the churches. Jesus is their center. He is their life. He is in their midst and also in ours. The call to joy in Zephaniah and Isaiah is the call to joy in the midst of judgment. We can have joy in the midst of God's judgment because his judgment is always aimed at our healing. Always. And he is in our midst as the one who is our life and our center. Paul's call to joy is set within a call to suffer with Christ. As Preston Sharp says, rejoicing and suffering are not mutually exclusive, meaning you can do both at the same time. We rejoice in the midst of a broken world. Rejoicing is a subversive act. It is the call to celebrate that which is not yet fully seen. When we choose to rejoice, we are not ignoring the pain of the world in which we currently live. In our rejoicing, we acknowledge that a new and different world has broken through in Jesus Christ, and this changes everything. It gives us hope for a coming day of true justice, love, and healing. We can have joy in the midst of suffering because there is no depth of evil or pain that Jesus has not already filled through his death and resurrection. Think about that. There is no place in all of creation where one could cry out and say, you don't know about this, God. No, in Jesus, every void has been plumbed by this man on the cross. There is nowhere that we can go that God is not present. We are on the way to new creation. 
And Jesus is with us even now. He is in our midst. Our joy is prophetic of the renewed world that is coming in the Messiah. And so finally, to come full circle back to John the Baptist. The call to produce the fruit of repentance is ultimately a call to participate in our healing. To become the true humans we were meant to be. Jesus, our faithful witness, has shown us that our true humanity is not found by centering ourselves, not giving way to greed or to fear. To repent is to agree agree with life, and there is joy found. I got to Barracks Road, and I found the man at Chipotle. He's a big black man wearing a Dallas Cowboys hat like he told me he would be. After buying him a burrito, we sat together at a table. And he started talking to me about just how unfriendly Charlottesville felt to him. As a homeless black man, how unwelcome he was made to feel just standing outside Barnes & Noble. He'd used the word ugly to describe himself earlier to me, and as we sat, I, I looked at him and I said, man, you just look really well turned out. Like, you are way better dressed than I am, which was true, <laughs> which is almost always true of me and like everyone, because I don't, I don't really know how to dress. Ask my wife. But when I told him that he was just well turned out, it made him smile. We did a fair amount of sitting in silence. He'd been really cold from being outside that day. And in the end, I I helped him just a little bit on his way toward home. But I think that day, I actually met John the Baptist. And I'm grateful for the uncomfortable call to repent. There was a real joy in our meeting that I almost missed. I almost missed it under the guise of needing to prepare a sermon. Sheesh, thank God for his mercy. Will you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.